Great to see you this morning. I uh, hope you're all well. Um, we are continuing in our, our Christmas series, uh, which is called Heaven Sent, uh, Angels, Miracles, and Kings. And we're on part three today. Uh, we're looking at kings uh, from the Christmas story. Um, you can follow along in the version app notes. Uh, in fact, I really encourage you that you do, because there's a lot of useful information in there for you. Um, you can find that we, um, on your email. We'll have sent it to you if you're subscribed to our emails. But if you can't find it from there, you can also just go into the app and look for events, and then you'll find uh, BCC's events uh, kind of just come up if your phone does that geographical thing with its GPS. You should find it that way. And it's also on our YouTube description as well, uh, so you can find it from there. Um, so we're gonna, I'm going to open with a bit of an object lesson uh, today uh, using some pieces of rope uh, that you no doubt have been watching us put up and get out and so on. Um, I wanted to talk to you about something called IQ. I don't know if you've ever heard of IQ, uh, but IQ stands for Intelligence Quotient. And it's like a, a kind of, you can take an IQ test, uh, and an IQ test will uh, tell you something about you, how sharp you are in your mind. What IQ tests do is they measure your ability to spot patterns, to work out problems, uh, to predict sequences. So they, they measure a certain form of intelligence. Uh, they're not completely exhaustive, um, but they're indicative. Uh, they, they tell you something about uh, maybe how sharp you are academically, maybe. Um, most people get an IQ of between about 85 and 115. So if you're kind of 100 of IQ, you're sort of in the middle. Um, and that's cool. If you've got an IQ of 130, like Ellie, you know, you are a very, very sharp cookie. So um, it, it just means that you're sharp, okay? Now, what I want to say to you is that our IQ that was given to us in our brains by God is a bit like this piece of blue rope here. Can you all see that? Uh, we all get given like something like this, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit shorter. But that's what we get given in our intelligence uh, from, from God when he made us and when he formed us in our mother's womb. Now, I want to do a kind of compare and contrast exercise and say to you that compared with human wisdom, the wisdom of God that you see stretched above me, uh, which is represented by this sign and also this yellow rope, is, is much, much bigger than human wisdom. Uh, now, I probably, if anything, even minimized it. I suspect God's wisdom probably runs over to Mosley in that direction and Dudley in that direction. Uh, okay, his intelligence is off the scale. Like if a really sharp person in their minds have an IQ, has a, an IQ of 130, I'm pretty sure God's IQ is kind of immeasurably big. We're talking five, 6,000, 10,000, I don't know. It's very difficult to put a measure on God's IQ. Um, but what it means is, it, it explains a lot about how we have a relationship with him. It says uh, in Isaiah, Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 55, verses 8 and 9, it says this, and you'll probably have heard this before. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Because he's, in, he's on another level. Yeah? Can you see that illustration? So this is us with our little bit of rope. And by no means is that a bad thing, but it's a whole load less than God's. God's intelligence goes off the scale. Okay? Um, however, that's not something to be overwhelmed about or upset about or disappointed about because uh, the Bible tells us that we can ask God for his wisdom. And we can ask him, and he will give wisdom to us. All we have to do is we have to reach up like this and get into God's presence and touch him. 
and say, Lord, would you give me some of your wisdom, please? And actually, that doesn't matter then how smart or how not smart you are. It, it really doesn't because it doesn't, this doesn't make any difference anymore because what you're doing is you're using that to access this. And that means that you've got access to the wisdom of God, does it not? Yeah? Um, so James 1, verse 5, says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should, what? Ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Okay? It will be given to you. Um, so if we played the game top trumps between our, obedi- our obedience and our intelligence, which one should win? I'm going to put it to you that it's our obedience. If we rely solely on our intelligence, but we're not obeying God, then what does that mean? It means that we're then cutting ourselves off from all of this that's available to us. We're not able to access it. And so in the, in the pecking order of importance of things in your life, obedience has to come above intelligence. It really does. Uh, you can be as sharp as you like, but you're never going to outwit God. You're never going to be cleverer than God. And so obedience always comes first in the pecking order with God. And something that sums this up a little bit is Psalm 32 verse 8. It says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. So I just wanted to open with that because I think it's important to set the scene for where we're going uh, today. Um, there's a clinical psychologist called Henry Cloud. And I know that some of you in life groups have been doing some of his material. But he talks really interestingly about three different responses to light. So when we, when we shine light on a situation, we bring truth to that situation. There are three typical responses that people will show. Um, and, and they're broken up in this way. They're broken up in the wise, the foolish, and the evil. So what, what, what wise people do is they, will, uh, they embrace the light. They really enjoy wisdom. They will receive your insights really well. They will take on board what you have to say. They, they are drinking in information all the time. Um, you know, they, they are receptive to what you're telling them. They, they're open. They, they want to know more. They're really up for what you've got to say. Okay, so the, the wise run to the light. Now the foolish, the foolish do something slightly different. The foolish are resistant to the light. They squirm about the light. When you bring some light to a situation, often what you'll find with the foolish is it's, it's denials, it's excuses, it's minimizing, it's, um, they even can make it your deal. You know, it's like what you haven't, you haven't, you know, you go to them and you tell them the project's late and they say to you, well, you haven't given me the resources. So with the wise, the primary stance they have is receptive and in. They'll take it in. With the foolish, the primary stance is, no, you can't tell me that. It's resistance and it's evasion and excuses and problems. They don't hear you. They are not conscious to you. Um, In fact, you can often tell the difference between the wise and the foolish because the wise, they will smile when, when you share stuff with them. They are actually grateful that you bothered to tell them. The foolish, they often frown when you tell them. They're like, who is this person talking to me? I don't want to hear this. This is your problem. Now, we also then have the evil. So with the wise run to the light, the foolish resist the light, the evil, they try and destroy the light. They don't want you shining your torch into their, into their business, thank you very much. In fact, they're, they're, they feel very threatened about the light. 
They don't want that exposure. They want what they're doing to, to stay hidden. And the, the deal with the evil is they will come after you to destroy you. It won't just be resistance and, and like, you know, a handoff. It will be they're going to come after you and take you down. Now, fortunately, in the world, uh, most of us are kind of sitting somewhere on the spectrum between the foolish and, and the wise. Um, there's not actually that many really, really evil people around, but they do exist. Uh, and so when Henry Cloud, this, he's a you know, clinical psychologist, he's a, a Christian counselor, uh, he really knows his stuff. When he breaks this, this down, the wise, the foolish, and the evil, it brings us a very interesting perspective around our responses to the light. Okay? Now, in part three of our series today, uh, which is the third in the angels, uh, uh, angels, Miracles, and Kings. We are looking at kings today. And what I want to do is I want to... The reason I've opened with this picture of the wisdom, of our wisdom, of God's wisdom, uh, of the, the different responses to light, is I want us to try and unpack a, a very unusual, but at the same time very familiar story. Um, in some ways, I'd love to be able to kind of temporarily wipe your, brain, your memories so that you don't know the story you're about to hear. But unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, it's a great thing that we know it really well. But I want you to reapproach this story. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 2 in just a minute. Uh, so you might want to just jump there on your, on your devices or in your Bibles. But I want us to go to this story with a fresh mindset and asking the question as we go through the story, where does the light come from? Who's wise? Uh, who's foolish? And who's evil? Where does the light come from? Who's wise? Who's foolish? And who's evil? So Matthew chapter 2, read along uh, with me if you would. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east, sorry, from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem 
and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew uh, to uh, the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be a Nazarene. So my first question to you was like, where does the light come from in this story? Well, the light first appears in in the sky, in the form of a star, doesn't it? Uh, This star is uh, kind of set up by the Lord somehow. We don't know how he did it, but there's a star in the sky. And it shines light, and it starts to get noticed by people. Uh, And I think what we should then say is that really one of the big messages of Christmas is that it's the arrival of the light of the world into the world. You know, Jesus in John's Gospel describes, uh, is described by John uh, as the light of the world. Uh, he is the, the light of the world who steps down from heaven and in, uh, into, the, into the earth and to become with us, to become God with us, Emmanuel, as we know. And so uh, when we're talking about this idea of light shining things onto situations, as we go through today's message, what you'll see is that the light of the world has arrived. He's been ushered in and introduced by a light in the sky And all sorts of things start to become apparent. And he hasn't even done any ministry yet. Lots of stuff becomes clear as soon as the light of the world arrives. Um, In John's gospel, it tells us uh, what is said about Jesus. It said, uh, and Jesus spoke again to the people and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so Christmas, one of the reasons that we kind of celebrate Christmas with so many lights, if you like, and put up lights and, and have colored lights on trees and all those kinds of things, is it we're just kind of echoing that star that first came. Uh, we're, we're reminding ourselves that Jesus is the light of the world. And for people who follow him, they, he provides a torch to their path, uh, and he shows them the way to go. Uh, anytime that you're a follower of Jesus and you don't feel like you're sharp enough, and that you don't have enough of this in your head, what you do is you pray and you ask God to give his wisdom to you. And he downloads it to you. And interestingly, isn't it, when we raise our hands in worship, one of the things that I think happens is not just love goes up to God, but I think wisdom comes down from him. Does it not? Okay? Light of the world. So the light of the world is Jesus uh, in this story. How about the wise? Well, uh, the wise, I think, are very clear in this. You you know, some of these ask these questions. You're going to know some of the answers to these. But the wise are these guys that have come from the east, and now we sing a Christmas carol sometimes, don't we, at Christmas time? We three kings of Orientar. Do you remember that? You used to sing that in primary school. You used to really enjoy that carol. That's one of my favorites. Um, there's a bit of a debate about whether they really were kings, but they certainly were wise. Uh, they, were, they were called magi. Your translation, I don't know what you've got in your translation, but it, it does say magi in the NIV. And magi means a wise person. It means a, somebody very wise. Uh, and these were astrologers, people who were... Uh, you might be surprised to find this, actually. They, were, they weren't people who believed in God. 
Uh, they weren't Christians as such. Uh, they were in this far-off land, probably in Babylon, uh, and they were astrologers, and they would access spiritual knowledge via what we would call the wrong means. They would use black arts and sorcery and divination and all sorts of things that God's pretty against, I have to say. But nevertheless, they were open. They were open and they were seeking. Um, the same word in the Greek New Testament is used in Daniel chapter 2 uh, to describe when the king Nebuchadnezzar, do you remember King Nebuchadnezzar has these dreams and he got nobody able to interpret them? So he calls on uh, the magi or the wise men, the astrologers, the satraps, the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the diviners, the, the interpreters of dreams, the, all of those people, the, the, the people who could read the, the signs in the, sky, in the sky, and he asks them for an interpretation. And the only other time we see the word magi is in Acts describing this guy called Simon the Sorcerer who's full of deceit and trickery. So it's not a great description if we're really honest. But what Matthew is trying to say is that, hold on a minute, yes, they've got all of this baggage spiritually that if we saw them coming into our church, we'd kind of shrink back. But what God is doing with them is he's saying, well, hold on a minute, you're open. You are people who are open. These are men who are studying the, 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 the stars, the skies, the celestial bodies. Maybe a comet had come. Maybe there was a, a conjunction of, pa of planets. And they're studying to see, is there a sign for us? And they spot it. They see it. And remember what I said about wise people being drawn to the light? They go on a journey because they want to find out more. Remember, wise people are receptive to input. They're getting input from God in the sky. And they're going, oh, we need to go and find out more. So let's go on a journey. Now, one must imagine that they probably got told by God, you're going to find somebody that you need to pay, pay homage to when you arrive. There's a son being born. Uh, he's going to be called the king of the Jews. There's more information that they get downloaded by, I guess, this process here, even though they don't know it yet. God is downloading things to them and encouraging them. But they're wise because they're open and they're prepared to travel towards the light. So when you're, when you're thinking about wisdom, are you a person who travels towards the light like the wise men? Because uh, that's what they do. How about the foolish? Well, the foolish, I would put it to you, are the chief priests and the teachers uh, of the law and the scribes because they resist the light. Why do I say that they resist the light? Well, these are people who are, I think are trying to be kings of God's word. We're talking about kings today, and we've got these wise men from the east. Maybe they were kings, maybe they weren't. We've got the king of kings, who's the light of the world, just fast asleep in his mum and dad's house, waiting for a, a visit from these wise men. But we also have the chief priests and the scribes and the, and the, you know, the, the scholars of the law. But these are people who resist the light. They're not up for being open. They know their Bibles inside out. They know their scriptures really well. But they are scripture fat and application and openness very thin and parched. So they understand it all. They know the words. But have the words gone in and have they turned into action? No, they haven't. It's very significant that they are able to quote their Bibles to Herod. But do they go with the Magi to find out about the king of the Jews? No. Not interested one bit. They don't think it's true. They're not, they, don't, they don't think there's any, real, any reality to that. They don't go along, do they? So they're people who'd study the word forever, but they don't let the, the word actually open them up and make changes on the inside. And that is the definition of foolishness for sure. And what we know about them is that they, um, 
they continue in this kind of cartel that then when Jesus gets to become an adult and start doing his ministry as the light of the world, there is a lot of resistance to Jesus at this point. So we have a bit of resistance now, but boy, does it grow when he gets his ministry going. Have you also spotted that none of these uh, great experts in spirituality um, have done anything about the star themselves? That strikes me as very odd. So you have these pagan people who are supposedly off the edge of the map when it comes to God, spotting something and thinking, oh, I need to go and find out more about that because I think there's something for me, versus people right in that nation who it seems to me haven't looked up and looked in the sky or looked in their Bibles properly. I'm just putting it to you. It's a different understanding maybe of of a familiar story. But these are people who are resistant to the light. Remember the wise run to the light? The foolish deflect and they don't really receive the light. God's word bounces off them. Wisdom bounces off them. They're not kind of up for it. Uh, they don't really want to, uh, to take it on board. What we also see uh, is that the chief priests and the scribes and the scholars and all the rest of it, when Jesus gets into his ministry, they resist him so much that some of them drift into the evil camp. Remember Caiaphas? He witnesses John's, uh, John, uh, sorry, Lazarus's resurrection. And Caiaphas's response to Lazarus's resurrection is not joy. It's, I'm going to go out and plot how I can kill this man because he's taking away from my ministry. That's going from foolish into evil right there. And then God allows that to happen and to continue to happen. And in fact, the chief priests and the scribes are successful where Herod isn't. Herod tries to kill Jesus and fails because God keeps him out of the way. But the chief priests and the scribes get to Jesus and actually God permits that. So sometimes people go from foolish to evil. And that's a very serious problem. But here's another aspect I want you to understand. God's wisdom and his ways are higher than our ways. And so God allows evil occasionally in his world because he sees and understands that there is a greater good. He permits the cross. We would look at the cross and go, that's horrendous. In God's wisdom, he says, no, that's how you you get forgiven, people. That's how you receive my forgiveness. And I'm going to permit this evil in order to allow that greater good. And now we're getting into some very serious and deep ethical uh, theology. Uh, And maybe this is a a bit much for a Sunday morning, but let's reflect upon it. Why don't we compare and contrast... Uh, the wise and the foolish. Well, the pagans have come from miles and miles and miles away and are prepared to bring worship. The scholars and the teachers and the Bible teachers, you know, the Bible pe- the people who know their scriptures really, really well, not interested. That's your compare and contrast there between the wise and the foolish. Let's move on to the, uh, the evil. Um, the evil try to destroy the light. And you can see this really clearly in this story. Herod is basically, literally, hell-bent on destroying the light of the world. Uh, he, was, he was called Herod the Great in history, but whether he was great or not remains a subject of historical and spiritual discussion. Um, he was a very cunning military leader, very good in battles. He built lots and lots of fantastic public places, but as a person, he was ruthless and brutal and suspicious and insecure. Uh, he had his, one of his own many wives killed because he was suspicious of her. He had two of his own sons killed because he was suspicious of them. 
Uh, there was one horrible account in his life where he rounded up, when he knew he was about to die, he rounded up all the Jewish leaders uh, in the city and put them in a stadium ready to kill them uh, because at least somebody would be crying once he had died. That's how bad Herod was. And so this story of him going to, it's called the slaughter of the innocents, when he goes to, uh, to kill all the baby boys up to the age of two in Bethlehem is entirely consistent with what his, history says about Herod. Herod was also not a proper Jew, and that made him very, very insecure. He was from a, a nationality called Idumean, and he, he didn't feel, he was like a pretender to the throne. And so you can imagine when these wise men from the east walk into his, his court and say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? This kind of man is not going to respond positively. We're not talking resistant to the light. We're talking, right, I'm going to take this down. This is going to get destroyed. And you see this playing out in the story. He wants to destroy the light of the world. And that's what evil uh, does. Um, the contra- if you wanted to do a comparison between the wise and the evil, the wise bring gifts and worship to the light of the world. The evil wants to do destruction to the light of the world. That's your difference right there. Something that I noticed about Herod as well, and this is a, a really important observation to make, um, Herod gets outwitted by the Magi. Did you see that? In Matthew uh, 2, I think it is, Matthew 2.16, it says, when Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi. Well, actually, no, not really. He hadn't. Who had he been outwitted by? He'd been outwitted by this person here. God had told the Magi, listen, you need to go back by a different route. And so what does that say to me? That says to me that the wise are open to tip-offs from God. Are you open to a tip-off from God? Could you receive something from God that would steer your journey a little differently and avoid disaster? And what that also says to me is that the evil are shut down to tip-offs from God. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be. And actually, history shows us that when leaders are shut down to God, innocent people end up getting hurt, as in this case. Are you receiving that, church? It's a bit of a deeper teaching today. I hope you're okay with it. I hope it's landing well in your spirit and you're following it. Okay. Um, So there's some observations from the story, but I want to bring some applications. And uh, the wise, the foolish, and the evil, um, I spent, as a preacher, you often think of, how can I get this with three words that all start with the same letter? And I gave up, okay, on this one. But what I've decided to do, it was really difficult. I spent an hour on it. It was a thesaurus and everything. Um, and I did an English degree, and I'm like, oh, come on, this is not working at all. So what I decided, I suddenly had a, a Holy Spirit, and this was from God. This, this is literally me praying, going, God, help me with this. He showed me a different way of doing it. So the wise needs a word beginning with W, and the foolish needs a word beginning with F, and the evil needs a word beginning with E. That was kind of what the Holy Spirit suggested to me. So I came up with a way in which you can apply this story to your lives. So with the wise, you need to use words. Okay? With the foolish, you need to use fences. And with the evil, you need to make a hasty exit. Okay? All right? You with that? Thank you. Well, pray, praise the Holy Spirit. That wasn't me. <laughs> with the wise, you need to use words. With the foolish, you need to contain them with fences. And with the evil, you need to make a hasty exit. Okay? 
So wise with words, what does that mean? Well, it means that with your wise people, and let, I mean, let's just be honest about Christmas time. Sometimes we go to those family gatherings or we have those parties or we meet up with somebody we haven't met for 10 years because of a Christmas do, and it's jolly awkward, isn't it? Christmas can be pressure like that. We're outside our routine. We need a bit of help. So how do we deal with this? So look at the, how do the wise receive information? They're pleased about it. How do the foolish receive information? They make it your fault. And how do the evil receive information? They kind of try and destroy you, okay? And hopefully you won't meet too many of those over Christmas. But Jesus did, and he had to be protected from it, didn't he? So with the wise, go to them and talk to them. Your wise people in your life are the people who understand words. You can say things to them, and it will go in. They will smile when you give them feedback, normally. Uh, they will certainly go away and reflect on what you've said. The pr- remember, the primary stance of the wise person is inward. They're receiving in what you've said, and they're reflecting on it, and they're going to make some changes. Are they going to take on board what you're going to say? So it's words with the wise. With the, with the foolish, it's fences. And what I mean by that, it's setting limits. It's having boundaries. It's having consequences. It's asking questions. It's not talking too much, actually. These are people who are deaf to talk. They're not conscious to what you're saying. They don't hear it. It doesn't go in. Otherwise, they'd have, and you know that it hasn't gone in because it hasn't resulted in changed action. The scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law felt that they had all of the corner on God's word. They were the kings of God's word, if you like. But actually, they missed the light of the world that the whole of the God's word pointed to. And so their knowledge didn't turn into action or obedience or openness. So with your fools, you have to put up fences. And what does that look like for us? I've just, I thought quite long and hard about how to kind of present this uh, in a helpful way. But with, with people who are not, not kind of wise and they're a bit more foolish or their behavior is a bit more foolish, it's about permitting them to sit in the consequences that they've caused themselves, really. That's what I think it is. And so examples might be things like that you withdraw access to a credit card that they've been using of yours that they maybe no longer borrow that car that, they, that you've lent them, that maybe there are consequences for failure to deliver those objectives in the workplace. Maybe they're a person who just takes up so much time that what you decide is, in your wisdom, this is a person who doesn't hear me when I say that I've got to move on now and they never leave my front room. So what you do is you, you change the structure and you go and meet in a neutral place and you have coffee together, but you've got to leave after half an hour. So with its fences... With, with the foolish, it's fences. It's putting limits on things so that you are not being um, kind of taken for a ride. And it's allowing them to sit in their consequences of their stuff. Don't rescue them from that. You know, wise people think that the solution to foolish people is to talk more. It's not. It's let them sit in their stuff a bit more. Let them have their consequences and let them uh, figure things out a bit more. Uh, let me give you a couple of verses that support each of those things. Um, so for the wise, it's Proverbs 15.31. Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Wise people heed words. Okay? But for the foolish, it's Proverbs 12.15. Uh, Proverbs 12.15 says this. Fools not find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in what? In airing their own opinions. That means they're not hearing you. And then finally, with the evil, and when I say make a, make a hasty exit, um, you'll actually see this played out in the story. What does God ask Joseph to do in response to the very strong evil that is about to come upon Jesus? He says to Joseph, take, the, take Mary and your, the baby Jesus down to Egypt. In other words, get out of range. Make a hasty exit. 
And so for some of those rare instances where we find ourselves confronted with a genuinely evil person who is out to destroy us and take us down, you have to think in terms of things like making an exit and making a very strong boundary. We're talking things like changing your phone number, changing your house locks, changing, uh, you know, uh, maybe installing some CCTV, maybe hiring a solicitor, uh, getting a court injunction even, maybe even moving house and moving country. I know those are really radical things, but I know that there are people in this congregation who have done that and taken that action and found themselves here because we are a sanctuary. You've come from your country and you've come here. In fact, I'm here in this country because of the same reason. My mum and dad decided it was too dangerous in that place uh, where, where, where we were because uh, you know, my dad was going to get called up into the Rhodesian army and he didn't agree with that. And, there were, there were, and there's a big whole story to that and I'm not going to go into that right now. But they made a decision about my safety in a very similar way. So sometimes you have to do the exit strategy with your evil people. So with, I'm going to ask the worship team if you'd like to just come back up. Thank you, worship team. So in our Christmas story, we've unpacked something from a slightly different angle, and I hope it helps you. I hope that you understand and grasp what I'm trying to, where I'm trying to go with this. If you read this story from the perspective of the wise and the foolish and the evil, it brings you some new insight into really what is a very familiar story to us all. The wise use words. That's how, you t- that's how you deal with your wise people. They will listen to your persuasion and it will go in. With your foolish people in your life, sometimes it's fences and boundaries and limits. And it's saying, actually, no, you can't have that. Or no, we're just going to do half an hour. Or, well, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to just do this bit of help. And I can't let you take loads of more help from me. Here are my boundaries, is what you say to foolish people. And with your evil people, it's kind of like, a lot of care to make sure that they don't damage you and it might be a case of hiding is a better thing than trying to negotiate or trying to talk or trying to put even put fences in would you stand with me bcc i want to close with one more thought when the light of the world came at christmas time the light of the world was jesus and he had hope that there's that change is possible Can you think of a couple of instances in the Bible where you and I would go, well, that's evil, and yet Jesus is able to lift that person from that place to a much better place? One of the ones that springs to mind straight away is that man in the Gerasenes. We would have all said, oh, that's an evil person to avoid, and in fact, it says that in the Bible, that people couldn't go that way. They had decided to exit, hadn't they? But Jesus put him in his right mind and worked a miracle. And he got back to being normal and sociable again. Somebody who would receive input. So basically Jesus comes along and he makes a person go from the evil that we should avoid to the wise that we can sit and talk to. That's a great transformation right there, isn't it? From the light of the world. And what about the murderer, Saul, who became Paul? If he, you know, if he kind of came to our church and he was in his original state, we would say, whoa, hold on a minute, are you going to kill me? Jesus meets with him. And he transforms him and he becomes exceptionally wise. He writes stuff in the Bible that most of the people around the world, to be really honest, occasionally struggle to even understand. It's so, so wise. This is a man who spent loads of time here. And what I'm going to say to you is that Christmas time is the hope of, of, of us because the light of the world comes and he does a transformation job on us. We can be taken from evil, we can be taken from foolish, and we can be made wise. But the bottom line is we have to be open. We have to be open to Jesus. We're going to sing in a minute and then we're going to come back and respond. Thank you.